1 Timothy 3. So if you want to open up your Bibles, it will be on the screen. But uh, I know if uh, you might have to squint, so maybe the Bible's closer. And if you are put the Bible up this close to your face, maybe you need a new pair of glasses. But I know that's all right. So we're going to be uh, diving in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. And we're going to be talking today about family. Now, there's two kinds of family we're going to be discussing today, the, the church family and the home family, and what that sort of entails, okay? What does that look like? Are they different? Are they same? And so we're going to look at what the Bible and what the Scripture says. Let me begin by uh, reading 1 Timothy 3, and uh, let's start there. Verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, okay, I'm going to stop here real quick. An overseer are talking about the men responsible to lead the church. Other examples of names are bishop, elder, uh, supervisor, overseer, and pastor, okay? So, just want us to know when you hear overseer, that's what they're talking about. So whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Okay. Now the Greek, I like the Greek. The Greek means a one woman man, a one woman man. It's supposed to be temp, a temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons, okay, deacons, so you get to know a little bit more about deacons, stopping. Deacons are helpers, usually they're lay officials, okay? They're people that, are, uh, that do different kinds of work, more groundwork or as has as we'll see here in a little bit. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. That is where we will be digging into today. As we look through 1 Timothy... Um, as you can clearly note, as a pastor, as an elder, and as an overseer, there is a standard. And clearly, 
the church that Paul is writing to and that Timothy is dealing with is not meeting the standard well. It's a great insight into looking into the letter, of understanding the letter, and we'll do that here in a second as we look back at the letter. But I also want us to look and make sure that we are protecting ourselves today. How do we look at ourselves today in the churches? I believe that many churches have turned away from what the Bible says. Hence, they are no longer churches. They are gathering areas. But to be wise, we must look at ourselves, myself, because pride comes for us all. To be honest, we choose five, verses, or five chapters a week. I could have skipped this and not preached on this. But to be honest, it's actually reading Timothy has given me great peace through it all. This leads to point number one, the background of Timothy. To really know, we need to know the context, need to know a little bit of what's going on. So Paul is writing the letter to Timothy, okay? That's why it's called 1 Timothy, because it's his first letter. Okay, boom, you know it all. All right, let's move on. No. So Timothy has been around Paul and has been with Paul and had been sent out by Paul. So the, the, these guys have hung out together. Timothy, his name means honoring God. And as you can see, Paul speaks extremely highly of Timothy throughout. He even calls him a true son of the face uh, of the faith in 1 Timothy 1-2. And Timothy becomes one of Paul's chief disciples. If you look back at Timothy's history, Timothy had an extremely, he was raised by a godly grandmother and mother. From Acts 16-1, it says this, Paul came to Debris and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. So Timothy's father was probably not a follower uh, from this scripture. Um, and as we let the Bible speak for itself, Timothy was a faithful follower of Jesus, first of all. But what was awesome is he also got to uh, be extremely faithful to Paul. And he walked with Paul. And Paul sends out Timothy multiple times. I think this is a great reminder that so many of us, it is what a blessing it is not to do ministry alone, not to do work alone, to have other people come alongside you. And that's why I think discipleship groups are good. Or when you meet in Sunday school or when you meet together, when you realize that you're not by yourself and you're doing ministry together, it is a blessing from God himself. And what a blessing it is for Paul to have Timothy and Timothy to have Paul. And as they continue to, to go out, Timothy is mentioned throughout Paul's letters. And so after Paul had been released from his first imprisonment in Rome, Paul was visiting many cities and this left Timothy to deal with the problem of the Ephesians church, in which we will be going over some of those problems today. Not all of them, but you can uh, see them as, as you read 1 Timothy. Some of those problems, just so you can sort of have them out, the dealing with false teachings, the dysfunction and the disorder in worship, what it takes to be a leader slash overseer, and it talks also about money and materialism. 
So we know Paul sends Timothy to uh, Ephesians because there are some false teachers there, adding and subtracting to the gospel. And this is what's so interesting is today in Western culture, Christianity is a lot about being nice and considerate and, and helpful, and all those things are good. But I think we've also forgotten that Christianity is about truth, and there is a line of not backing down. And Timothy has to go there and make sure that the truth is stood up for and not back down. You can see right here, uh, right here in 1 Timothy 1, 3, which Paul says, Stay here in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Okay? I don't know if you're in your life or whatever. Is it easy to get sidetracked? Just ever. All of a sudden, you're watching one YouTube video, how to fix lights up in the garage. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, there's 30 minutes gone by because I like looking at dogs chase cats. Like you get sidetracked. You're like, oh, I had this job to do. And it might be this simple thing. And then all of a sudden, or at work, you are on a mission. You're you know what you're going to do, and someone goes, hey, can you do this? And you're like, yes. And then all of a sudden, you're like, what was I doing again? What was I? Maybe that's the age in me, but maybe it's so easy to get sidetracked. And that's what's being here is we, the people are getting sidetracked. They're, getting, they're talking about stuff that is useless, and it's gone. But then Paul lays out in a few other verses here, in verse 5 in chapter 1, he lays out this. Because what is great, and what Paul does such a great job, is he usually lays out, these are the issues, and these are the ways to fix them. This is how it can be done properly. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. I love that line. They want to teach it, but they don't know what they're talking about. Or what they so confidently affirm. Every teacher that you listen to on a podcast they might not know what you're, they're talking about. They might have today a pastor in front of their name. They might not know what they're talking about. Okay? Be warned. It might be meaningless talk. It might be distraction talk. You have to let the Word of God. You have to know the Word of God. You have to trust the Word of God. And that dictates. And so many of us, when we get there, we'll be like, yeah, but... but the pastor said, no, the pastor's already got to have enough issues going on when he's judged and responsible for. You too are responsible. You have to know that and trust that. And so that's a big thing going on in Timothy to know the context of what's going on here with overseers and all that. What we'll get into in chapter three is there are false teachers. It's not shocking. So Timothy is charged to go and be bold. Paul even names some of these false teachers by names. He's not holding back. 
Hymenaeus and Alexander are called out in Scripture. I am so thankful that Paul did not call me out. I pray that he, these guys repented and turned back. But here is where the Bible, and I would say this, is different from a lot of Western culture. Okay? Right here, before we, we dig in, it says, so, so how is Timothy charged to help transform these lives? Okay? So Paul is like, how would he would do this? Is he to set up a 12-step system? Is he to sell a book on how to be happy? No. In chapter 2, Paul settles it basically on a lot. He says, prayer. Prayer. And as you can see throughout, and the, uh, the other one is reading of Scripture. Let's take a look at verse 1. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. How many of you jump to prayer first? To seek the tree of life instead of that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we're doing when we're making decisions. Okay, let's go back to Eden. Let's go back to it. When there's the tree of life, when we're, we're obedient, we're close with God, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And over here, and when we're making decisions, when we come up, do we just go over here and say, yeah, this is going to work out well for me. Or are we close to God? Are we prayerful and obedient and listening to God? What path do we take? And we say, oh, we'll make it on big decisions. You know, like what house to get. You know, the big ones. What job to get if I didn't have kids. But the rest of the, what? So we pick and choose when we are obedient to God. I've learned that most of the times, it's the little things that add up to be the biggest things. House is one thing, but how you love your wife on a Saturday when she ticks you off is another thing. Or how you interact with your kids when they want to go outside for the 50th time and you're not, you're done. How you interact in those small things, those small decisions. How does that happen? Nighttime routine. How you be, what does that look like? Am I taking from the tree or am I just like, okay, I can, I know how to do this. And too many of us have decided, okay, what we should do is we've, we have these handmade ideas of like these steps that we should follow. It's actually easier to read, not the Bible, but another book that somewhat relates to the Bible to, to learn that kind of stuff. And What's really happening is we have not even prayed. We are trying to gather knowledge and we're trying to grab it, but we have not seeked God. We need to seek God. We need to know God. And when then you do that, then that leads into proper obedience. It continues in chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. To see the change, Paul is saying we must first pray and go to God. Seek Him. As we read uh, the rest of 1 Timothy, 
Paul hits a lot on how men and women are to behave. And you're going to see that in how we interact. And this is why I don't want to take a 12-step process. I want to see what the Scripture says and how we are to interact. Some of this has been debated and is controversial ever since the beginning of Adam and Eve when sin has entered and continued to battle between men and women. That is why we, how we are looking today about the church and the home family today and how they interact. I am asking right now that your heart be obedient to God, not yourself. Point number two, men and women. No controversy there whatsoever. No controversy whatsoever. It says in verse 4 of chapter 3, he, the overseer, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Now, in verse 11, you could be talking about deacons, wives, or you can be talking about women in general, and we'll get to that a little bit. But in verse 11, it says, In the same women... In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Before I dive into point number two about men and women, there has been a continual battle for men and women in the hierarchy going on in the world since Adam and Eve and since the beginning of time, and it's still going on right now. Men have done horrible things. They have. Women have done horrible things. They have. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know that many of our arguments, especially, and I'm going to focus a little bit on married couples, are not usually at the problem at hand or even that issue that is being dealt with. It has to do with pride. It has to do with winning an argument. It has to do with holding on to past things so that I can win this argument if it ever comes back up. Holding on to past failings of your wife or your husband so that you can continue to have a one-up on someone. What is great is it's the someone that you say you love in a marriage setting. Do you know that when you're married, that you are to be one? Did you, you know that you're supposed to be one connected, right? You are supposed to be attacking the same issues together. You are supposed to be going through the same struggles together. You're supposed to be going through the same joys together. The problem is, our fleshy nature, our sinful nature, takes back over at times, and pride and selfishness slither in as a snake and decide, I want this. I'm going to win this. Now, I know some of you are all over the map here today. Some of you are single. Some of you are married. Some of you are about to get married. Some of you are newlyweds. Some of you have been married way too long. 
No, that's a good thing. I was joking. Some of you have lost your significant other. And we all have, though, unique relationships. And the scripture hits it all. So we're going to start with men. Okay? Men. We're going to start with the overseers, but it's also going to lead into what that means as a church family and a godly family. It's, uh, let's go back. It says, he must manage his family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy, full of respect. Men, this is a challenge. I, like, I love how Doug downstairs was talking about how so many times we view that as an overseer of the church. But these are great words for us as believers to be challenged with, to be, aren't we supposed to live godly lives? And men, this is a challenge. Men, how do you lead your home life? God's going to judge that as well. So many of you, and I get it, are worried about your job, providing protection, your, your status, and trying to fit, have time to relax. The thing is that many so-called believing Christians are getting a divorce rate at the same level as the secular world. A lot of these men are so-called men want to go out and change the world, but they're not there for their family. I'm not condoning everything that Jordan Peterson has said. He's a philosopher, or, uh, but I do like his quote, before you go out and conquer the world, make your bed. Because the reason why I'm telling you this, and maybe this part doesn't affect you, but it is affecting the world, Look at all the people around the world and the world today that are telling you how to live. But you look at their lives, and it's a mess. It's a disaster. It's a messed up. They want you to live the same way that they do, and it will drag you down. It is not based on biblical truth. It's built on wants and desires. And let's just take a couple of stats, take a look at a few of these stats. Let's take a look at the 2021 U.S. Census Bureau's report. Do you know that 18.4 million children live in fatherless households? 18.4 million. Not 184. 18.4 million. Do you know that households without fathers are four times more likely to live below the poverty line? There are 1.8 million solo fathers living with their children. Now, when I say these stats, I know that there's many different issues. I know that uh, there are the fathers that just leave or the mothers that just leave. I know that there are some that are trying to play the system where the father doesn't live there so they could get more different income. I know that some fathers would love to be there, but they passed away. And then there's mothers. So I, I get that, that this is a complex issue. But you're talking about 18.4 million. And this is a godly issue about being godly men. And men are to lead, and they are to be led by Christ. And the problem is many men are not led by Christ. And if you're a man in here today, I'm encouraging you to be led by Christ. Children of fatherless households are two times more likely to drop out of school. The inf infant mortality rates are two times higher in fatherless households. 
Children growing up without a father are two times more likely to commit suicide. There are many more stats, but these are just some of the facts of home life. These can be the same men that are leading our government, are leading other areas of our workplace and workplace, and they are the ones telling us what to do. This is a challenge, men. Even if you're not an elder or an overseer, I'm asking you to start to begin the process of making sure that you lead your family well. And first of all, what does it start with? It starts with, number one, you being right with God. You being right with God. If you aren't being led by God, why would or how could a godly woman follow you? It doesn't work. There's a disconnect. You're on two different train tracks. Point number two. It talks about being faithful to your wife. You need to protect, comfort, and communicate in such a way that both of you know where you are going. In the past, I know there were times where I did not lead my wife well. There are still times I make those mistakes. We will not talk much about them today. No, instead of communicating and lovingly showing her, I just assumed she knew where we were going. That never goes well. And in the past, there were many times where she was being in a situation, I would love to come and help out or take over. That doesn't go well either. There was a lack of communication. And when there's a lack of communication, people start pulling in different directions. To add on to those two points, men, I would encourage you, men, you need to pray for your family. You need to pray over your family. Just don't be close with them. Pray over your family. And number two, you need to protect your family. You need to protect your family. We have to be lined up to with what God wants, but we also, I don't know if it's like you, I'm the one that goes around at night making sure all the doors are locked. There's a certain way that I sit at the restaurant that annoys my wife, but I don't do it because I just want to sit in the corner and have everyone look at me. But I sit there because I want to be aware of the situations and surroundings. Because my goal is to protect my family, to, to protect those. And you know what's happening in this letter? Paul's protecting the church family. He's protecting the church family. You pray, and so you can start seeing how your home life and the church life are very connected. It's a very family-oriented process. And this is not just make-believe for people. Yeah, we're family. No, it's actually trying to be set up to family. That's why he's protecting and doesn't want false teachers in charge. Because when there's false teachers in charge, it's the wolves and they're leading astray. And I am telling you, that is that happens. There right now are people going around to different churches trying to get them in trouble or trying to get in leadership and trying to seduce them in different ways. 
They are. They're trying to get led astray, and they're trying to get in position of power. That's why you don't just put a new convert in charge. It's, these are not just like made-up things that like sound good. This is protecting the family. This is why when we want godly men to lead the family. We want men in the household. Why do you think the world does not want men in the household? It's not shocking. It's divide and conquer. All right, men, you've taken your beating. Now it's the women's turn. I feel like I got to be a little softer with this one, like a little more Bob and we know I'm just joking. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, it talks a, a lot, and I'm going to focus on First Timothy or uh, stake in First Timothy. But uh, there's there's a lot of unique things here. Uh, I do want us to get into a little bit of the context, like in uh, chapter one. It talks about I also want the women to dress modestly and with decency and uh, propriety, adoring themselves not with elaborate hairstyle or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay? Now, there's a context going on there. There are many widows there as well. Some were poor and some were out dressing and going to the nines. And, and during this town, too, many of the women were leaders of other pagan gods. And they were more in charge and doing seances and doing other things. And now they're pulled over in position. And what are you going to do? You're going to go in, guns are blazing, trying to earn that. And God's saying, it is not about the gold, it is not about the hair. It is about with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. It's not about those things. It's, it's, it's a change of perception. And in chapter 3, verse 11, it, in the same way, it says this, the women are to be worthy of respect. And we'll dive a little bit into that. It says, and you know how women, one way, to be worthy of respect is to give respect. Men need respect. Why do you think right now one of the biggest cultural changes right now is the fact that men are just dumb, stupid, and not worthy of respect? How back in the day you could at least see some men with integrity on TV shows. Most of them don't know what they're doing now. They're funny, but they don't know what they're doing When you have respect, you show respect. And the thing is, neither men nor women are perfect. But if this is your husband and, and to men, if you're dealing with your husband and your husband is someone that has done something in the past, maybe it's three, four, five years ago, but he has been pursuing God, trusting God, going after God, when are you going to let those things go that you've held on to, to win arguments? Because I know, women, you remember some of the craziest things ever throughout history. Things that have long passed go, and you hold on to it. And you go over here, and I'm not saying men don't do this, and I'm not trying to just point point people there but women there are things where your husband that you say you love right now that you've been with that you still hold on to since 1987 and why would you do that 
You know why? It's because you want to have one up over him in a certain situation. That's actually not love. That is you going to the tree of good and knowledge and saying, I have this and I'm never going to forget it. And you become the judge. And you've always wondered then why is your relationship not there? Because you are the one starting to create the divide. Men, we could do it the two. I'm not saying that this, but this is a situation where where does forgiveness? And I'm not just saying, don't just like, oh, I forget it or whatever. If it's been holding on that long, talk to your husband about it. Deal with it. So many times it's like, oh, we just don't want to gloss over it. No, get messy. God's where the messy's at. Have the conversation. Have it now before it's too late. Before you hold on to that. Because then it's 25 years wasted. Where you could have more of a pure relationship. More of a better relationship. Because you've held on to something that was said from an immature man. Shocking, they're still out there. And we're still growing. But here's the thing too, women. You don't have it all together either. And sometimes you need to hear that. We all are sinful. And the problem is, is pride comes in. Evil comes in. Selfishness comes in. It takes over. And what it does is it starts to divide. And that's why people don't always love the Scripture because that's why they want to make it a hierarchy. And I will tell you this. It will come back to full circle. Men and women, if you're married, you're supposed to be one. And the problem is, is so many type people out there, they uh, view the church like this. God up here, men here, and women way down here. When you're talking about, you know what? Men and women are supposed to be like this. Up here together. And you know what, men? You're supposed to be with God. So all of us are supposed to be right here, living a holy life, being close to God, and close because you're protecting your your wife. The problem is, is we've started believing to what society says, that men can't be protectors, men can't lead, or whatever. No, let the scripture talk for it. Let it do what it needs to do, and then let's take the proper steps forward. We have to respect our husband, and we have to respect our wives. Too many of us hold on to it. Like we're playing poker, and we have an ace up our sleeve, and we can play it at any time. That is not loving. That is not kind. I'm running out of time. Point number three, your family. By family, I'm talking the church family and your family. You have been given a family. How you engage in that is how you will be judged. We will all be held responsible. I am letting you know why I love reading scripture instead of giving John Pels' opinion or talking about it is because there will be a day where I stand before the Lord Almighty and will be asked how I led. There is a weight to that. It either can be a weight that paralyzes or it can be a weight that goes, okay, then we better do it well. And we better do it faithfully and better do it good. But you too will be responsible for your family, for your children, how you interact. How you do that matters. How you lead your kids matters. How you love your husband matters. You will be held accountable. How you love your wife. Paul Washer tells this story. 
he talks about how there's this king and this queen, and they're good. And they're great for the country. And they're, they're great leaders. The town loves them. But the king's got to go away on a travel. He's got to go away and get away. And the king's got to go away. And so what the king does is puts you in charge. Says, you need to protect the queen. You need to guard the queen. You need to make sure everything's taken care of. Now the king is gone for a long time. And the townspeople are starting to get a little restless. They're starting to get a little bit of antsy. And so what you decide to do is you're like, okay, to get the people back around, we're going to dress the queen up a little bit. You know, she used to just wear wide and elegance, but we're going to put her in a new outfit. We're going to put some makeup on, and we're going to dress her up so that people would follow her and listen to her. And as Paul Washer would say, it's like the prostitution makeup. Like, sort of dress her up and make sure that she's a little bit more provocative and much more like, oh, the people will notice. So the people start paying attention again. When the king gets back, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen when the king comes back and finds that what you did to his wife? I don't know, but I would sort of get the revelation vibes. That he's going to come back in wrath because he loves his wife. He protects his wife. And here's the thing. That's what we do with the church. Too many times in America, we dress up the church. We say the Bible is good and all, but, but we're going to do this, and we're going to add to it, and we're going to make it a little bit more friendly so more people can come in. No, what's going to happen is that's not going to be the church anymore. And the thing is, is we must protect the church. We must, we've been giving the bride this is the terminology. We must protect the bride. And the thing is, is we must be one together. And the reason why I have no problem saying this, if you don't get it by now, do you not think that the world is going after our children? Not just ours. The world is going after our kids. And I pray for the protection of our children. And I pray for those that work in the schools. And I pray for those that are doing things because they are trying to divide and conquer. They are trying to manipulate. And if we are one and we are connected and we pray to the Father and we're going to the Father, we can protect. But if we get divided, that's when there's trouble. There's a story, and it's a movie. It's made into the movie, but the movie's rated R, so don't watch it. It's whatever, but it's, it's called 300. It's 300. Many of you know it. It's about the 300 Spartans in the Persian Empire. Okay? Some of you have heard this. Some of you actually paid attention in high school. Okay? But what is happening, and the numbers aren't really this way because many people believe like Persian army had millions and Sparta had three, uh, 300. Really, it was more like 200,000 versus 7,000. There was a time where it was 300, but the numbers were huge. But Persia had to get through a small pass, had to get through the small pass to be able to get through, to be able to get to the other side, to be able to conquer, okay, to go through Sparta. But 
The pass was small, so the Spartan army could hold the line, could fight the line, and could, do, could continue to come back and continue to fight and continue to come. And so they kept holding the line for two days. They held this for two days until someone, a Philetus, betrayed his Spartan army and told them of a back way to get around so some of the army could go around, and then they were fighting on two fronts. And they were fighting on two fronts, and then they were defeated. Here's the thing. That's why Paul's being so protective of the church. That's why Paul's being so... Because we can't have people showing a false flag, a false way to get around to be battling on two fronts. To have a battle where now... The art of war, it even talks about it, you will be defeated if you're battling from two fronts. That's why the church needs to be solid in the biblical world. It needs to be solid on the Bible, not on the latest trend. Because here's the shocking thing, trends change. The scripture does not. The scripture will not. And that's what we need to rest on. talking about respect and protecting our children and talking about it, we must be one as a church. And you, as wherever you're at, if you are at the place where you're the husband, I'm asking you to lead well. I'm asking you to respect and love your wife. So many times people always presume that that's a hierarchy of men and women. You know what the Christ did for the church? Died. Died. That's what men were supposed to do. If, that's the problem with this world. The world has it all twisted up that men that lead aren't. No, men, you're supposed to die for your wife in that sense. Like, you're supposed to love her. You're supposed to be like Christ. What a great example. What a great example. So I'm asking you, don't back down. Don't fall for the world's standards. Don't be engulfed by the latest trend. Be there. And why the church does stuff and why your family does stuff is because we are a family. And we are supposed to love God. We're supposed to show God to others. I want to finish with this. Many people out there today love going out into the world telling other people how to live. We've talked about that. The thing is, is I'm asking you, focus on your family. Love your family. If you've not done well, I'm asking you to, because here's the thing. Our foundation is on Jesus, okay? It's on the cross. Our foundation is on that. And then our lives represent that. So many people I've known love going out, and they do all this mission stuff, and they'll go out and help other people. But then when they bring them back, their home life is a mess. What are they bringing them back to? Your mess. God's saying, get your home in order. Get the church in order. Get it in order. So when people, when we go out and witness, when we go out and love, people know what they're getting into. They're getting into the biblical world. They're not getting into um, uh, just a mess or just a, a process of people that haven't processed stuff. 
And I'm asking you in your home life, if you're there, I would much rather you focus on loving your family well than running a VBS. I love VBS. VBS is good. But love your family. And if God has convicted you today in some way, I ask that you take those steps. If it's to have that conversation with your significant other, have it. If it's to forgive, forgive. But only God can put that on your heart. Only God can put that on your mind. I want us to be a family of God together, and I want our families to be strong, and I want our families to be obedient to the Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Mary, Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. Thank you so much for these letters of showing how to lead, how to be together as a family, as a church family and our family together. May we continue to dive in. There's so much more in Scripture about, about this and how we can continue to love each other. I pray right now that anyone that is hesitant on forgiveness or has felt the Holy Spirit speaking in any way, that they be obedient, joyfully obedient, because your will will be done. And it will bring peace, it will bring joy to your name. I thank you so much for this church family. I thank you for the elders that I get to work with personally. I thank you for all the deacons and all the leadership people that get to do uh, these things. And I, I don't even really want to call it work because we are a family together. We want to be obedient to the word and let the word lead us. We love you, we praise you, and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. May you be blessed and have a great week.